All right, good morning. If you're guests with us, my name is Al. I'm one of the pastors here. We have the great privilege to continue preaching through the, the, the great book of the Bible, uh, 1 Corinthians. And so we've been in 1 Corinthians for uh, the majority of the year. We are heading towards the end. So we're in chapter 15. We'll be in chapter, we'll finish chapter 15 next week, and then we'll hit 16, and we'll be done with 1 Corinthians. So we have three sermons, including this one, and then we'll enter into the Christmas season. We, we have a Christmas sermon series called Jesus Reigns. Today will be like the, uh, the pre cursor to that, because we're going to talk about the reign of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at the resurrection of Jesus. We'll talk more about the resurrection of Jesus today, the implications of it. But one of the implications is that he is reigning king. We're here worshiping Jesus as our king, our savior, our Lord, our God, our king. And so um, when, we, when we see Christmas on the horizon, when that, com- that day comes and we're, we're studying the first coming of Jesus Christ, that's really the dawn of his kingdom. The dawn of his kingdom is, the, is the, him coming, the incarnation, being born of a virgin, and we get to look at all that. Today we look at the end of his, we, get, we look at the end. What does it look like when the king returns? What does it look like that the king has resurrected? And so if you need a Bible, that's all we're going to, that's what we're going to be covering today. Uh, we'll be in 1 Corinthians 15. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, our gift to you. So just wave your hand high if you need one. Um, and as, he do, as we do that, I want to start with this question. What if Jesus was not raised from the dead? You ever thought about that? What if Jesus didn't raise from the dead? What if the resurrection is false? What if it's a hoax? What if it's not real? And so that's what we're going to first start and what we're going to look at. I want us to see that the, the, the Corinthians, this church, the young church, young, young believers, what, what's going on here is they wrote questions likely to the Apostle Paul. He's responding, answering their questions. One of their questions is uh, dealing with the resurrection. Is the resurrection legitimate? Is it real? Last Sunday, we spent you know, upwards of an hour talking about how the resurrection is real. Uh, but he poses the question afterwards. It's like, what if it, what if it isn't? What are the implications of the resurrection, or, or what are the implications of life if the resurrection of Jesus is, is not real? So that's where we start. Verse 12, he says this, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, so we, we preach Jesus raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection? So some of you don't believe in the resurrection. Maybe there's some in here today that you just really, you're just curious about the resurrection. Maybe you totally deny the resurrection of Jesus. You don't believe in an afterlife. You don't believe in a God. You don't believe in heaven and hell. You don't believe in the resurrection. Maybe that's you. Uh, maybe you know someone like that. Or maybe you're just, maybe you question it. Like, man, is this legitimate? Like, maybe, and, that, and if we're honest, many of you, many of us probably have thought that. Like, like, do we really believe that in the resurrection? And so what he's going to tell us now is, what if there was no resurrection? And I think this is an important exercise for Christians to think through. If there is no resurrection, like, what are those massive implications of, of that? And, and he says this, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then that means not even Christ has been raised from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Even the, we are even found misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if, he, for if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised... What are the implications? Your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then those who, are, who have fallen asleep or passed away, they're no longer living, they, they have perished as if they have no hope. They, they've perished with no hope. If, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we have all people most to be pitied. So let's start with this question. What if Jesus is not risen from the dead? What if he was not raised from the dead? What, it, what are the implications? The, I'll give you seven from this text. Seven implications uh, of, of, of what is the reality 
what Paul's saying, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, number one, Jesus is dead. That's an obvious one, I get it. Like, but that is an implication. He says in verse 13, he, he says, there's no, if there's no resurrection, then not even Christ has been raised. The first thing we see, like, the God we worship is dead. Like, Jesus is dead. If, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Jesus is dead. And why is this so important? Well, it's important because Jesus was not just a fictitious person. He was an actual person, historical person. Not only did the, 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 the Christians historically tell of the person and work of Jesus, but non-Christians, like uh, Jewish scholars, affirm the historical uh, Jesus. They don't believe in Jesus as God or, or Savior or Lord or Messiah, but they believe he was real. They believe he, he was from Nazareth. They believe that he, he performed miracles. Even the Romans, a uh, non-Christian Roman world, believed in the, the historical, accurate crucifixion, a life and crucifixion of Jesus. So if Jesus is not risen from the dead, that means everyone, like the, the, the God we worship is actually dead. That's what it means. That's the first thing. I know it's obvious, but we, we should make the point that if there's no resurrection uh, of Jesus, then Jesus is not alive. Uh, second thing, therefore, if Jesus is dead, uh, gospel preaching is meaningless. Meaning what we're doing right now is pointless. You're all wasting your time. You are the biggest fools, me too, for doing this twice in one, in one day. Like my feet hurt, I'm tired, my back hurts, and it's like, what is the point of this if Jesus isn't raised from the dead? Like preaching is meaningless. He says vain, the word vain. Our preaching is in vain. The, the, the effort that we put in, the time we put in, the... the the, the hour we're going to spend listening to God's word being unpacked is a chasing after the wind. It is pointless. He says it is a waste of time. He says it is vain. In vain. He, and I thought about this a lot this week because all the time, all the studying, all the praying, all the sleepless nights that go into a sermon, like that's futile. That's pointless. It's a waste of time. We're right now working on a study guide I'm writing uh, uh, for the next sermon series in the new year of Judges. And we're going to go through Judges and we're writing a study guide with that. And I've estimated that it's going to take over a hundred man hours of, of personal effort and study if, and then extra help for edits. A uh, hundred hours of labor to get a study guide together to give to the, the church free of charge so they can better understand, know, love the, the gospel of Jesus and, and, and walk in his word well in ways that's pointless if he's dead. The preaching ministry is pointless. I, I, like I want us to see we are wasting our time if Jesus is not risen from the dead. So I say that, so if you're like, man, I'm struggling to believe the resurrection, only thing that gives today meaning is that Jesus is not dead, but he's alive. Secondly, he says that, or third, he says that the Christian faith is meaningless. Not only is this preaching meaningless, but the Christian faith, your faith, is meaningless if Jesus is not raised from the dead. He says it this way, our faith is in vain and our, your faith is futile. Those are the two terms he uses, vain and futile, to describe the meaningless of Christianity if there's no resurrection. What this literally means is, is, is the, 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 the term is similar to what uh, uh, Solomon would use in Ecclesiastes, that life is a vapor or, a, or in vain. Uh, it's a chasing after the wind. What that means is tomorrow morning, uh, we're told, it's going to be kind of cold, right? Maybe even tonight, a little chilly. A little, it's going to walk outside, and you're going to breathe, and you're going to see your breath for a little bit, right? It's going to go away. That's a vapor. That's what he's saying. That's literally what he's saying. It's like your life is like that. Christianity, if Jesus has, has not risen from the dead, is like that, pointless, it's a vapor. It's, it's pointless. 
if Jesus is not raised from the dead. It's meaningless. And therefore, you can't say, if there's no resurrection, then you can't say, well, uh, let me, let me, let me, let me, uh, this works for you. Your faith works for you. No, you can't say that. Like, this is what we live in a world today, this pluralistic world that says, well, my faith works for me, your faith works for you, blah, blah, blah. You can't say Christianity works for you if there's no resurrection. It means it doesn't work. Like, you don't escape the grave. You're dead. Like, Christianity doesn't work. So anyone ever tells you, like, hey, you know, if you're a Christian, uh, you know, I'm glad Christianity works for you, but it doesn't work for me. You're like, yeah, it doesn't work for you because you don't believe in the resurrection. It works for me, and it's the only thing that works. If there's no resurrection, Christianity doesn't work. You can't escape death. You can't escape hell. You can't escape the wrath of God. You can't have forgiveness of sin. You, it just does not work. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. Moreover, it's not popular to be a Christian, right? It's not popular anymore to be a Christian in our day. So why would you choose to be among the, the ranks of the socially ostracized if it's not real? And so he's saying, that's the point, man. It, it is meaningless. The Christian faith is meaningless without the resurrection of Jesus. It's not just a point we adhere to. It's not just something we ascribe to. But it, the, the resurrection really changes everything. Number, number four, he says that if, uh, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then we are, Christians are misrepresenting God, which is a big deal. If there's a God and you're a Christian and you don't believe in the resurrection, you were mis- in the, or there, sorry, there is no resurrection, then we are misrepresenting God. Why? Because we tell that there is a resurrection. We are claiming that God died in our place for our sins. The person and work of Jesus Christ rose from the dead victoriously, rules and reigns as king of kings and lord of lords. And if he didn't raise from the dead and he's not king of kings and lord of lords, we're lying. We're misleading. We are distributing misinformation. Like that's literally what we are doing. We are misrepresenting God. And see, the author of this book, the Apostle Paul, he was a, he was a Jew of the Jews before he got converted to Jesus. It would have been a condemnable like sentence the hell to misrepresent God. So when he's saying, hey, I'm going to represent, he's taking this very seriously. Christians are to re- are representatives of God. We're, to- we're told otherwhere, elsewhere in scripture that it, we are his ambassadors making his appeal through us. Therefore, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not real, then Christians are misrepresenting God. I think about this often as a pastor. Like, what we're doing is, is heralding God's word and we're representing, hey, this is what God's word says. Like, I don't want to be caught dead, literally, misrepresenting God. Like, and I know some of you will say, well, aren't there like some charlatans and pastors out there that, that do misrepresent God? Yeah, they do. But the guy who wrote this book, the Apostle Paul, got his head chopped off for it. Like, the cost-benefit analysis wasn't that great for him, right? Like, hey, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to peddle this false news about this resurrection and the, what it's going to cost me. It's not riches. I'm not going to gain anything. I'm actually going to get my head chopped off. I could actually make more money if I deny the resurrection. Same is true to this day. You can get a book deal. You can be on the Christian bestseller list today. If you, if you cop out on the gospel, you punt on the, the truth, you edit God's word, you can get book deals. Like no one wants a book deal. Or no, no, no one these days, they want to promote the, the people who talk about there's one way and his name's Jesus. And, and if you don't believe in him, there's, there's a real hellfire being stored up, real wrath of God. Like that's just not, people don't want to hear it. We, we've, 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 we've shut our ears and hardened our hearts to, to the word of God. And so Christians, if you want to represent God correctly, you got to represent uh, the person and work of Jesus and the resurrection. The resurrection matters. If not, if there is no resurrection, we are misrepresenting God. Number uh, five is that there, if there is no resurrection, there's no forgiveness of sins. This means all of us are condemned. 
if Jesus did not raise from the dead, you were not forgiven. Like, you have to pay for your sin. You do. Not me. I don't have to pay for your sin. I have to pay for mine. But no one can stand your place. You have to atone for your sins. If there's no, if there's no resurrection, then there's no forgiveness. And so there's no substitute. There's no atonement. There's no salvation. There's no forgiveness. There's no forgiveness. This is where the, 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 you know, our, our modern day term, no justice, no peace, should be inserted. There's really no justice and no peace if there's no resurrection. There's no resurrection, because what does that mean? That Jesus was, what took on the just penalty for sinners, but didn't raise. It means that he was guilty. It would be that he was guilty and, and it wasn't sinless. Jesus wasn't guilty. He was sinless. We were guilty. He took our just punishment. The reason why he got out of the grave, because he was sinless. That's why he took upon the sin of every man and woman who ever breathed and lived on this earth and will, their past, their present, and future sin. He, he, he died as a substitute for sinners. Upon the resurrection, he validated that he conquered sin and offers forgiveness to anyone who would believe in him. There's no forgiveness. There's no just satisfaction of the wrath of God. No substitute. No forgiveness of sins if Jesus is still in the grave. The debt would not have been paid. The check cash, but the check bounce. If you remember checks, that's a thing. I know some of you are like, what does that mean? You can look it up, Google it later. Uh, like if the, that's the reality. The check clears through Jesus' resurrection, proving that he has, he has paid our debt in full. There is forgiveness. But if there's no resurrection, then there's no forgiveness. Number six, if there's no resurrection, there's no hope in life or in death. No hope in life or in death. How so? Well, he says this way. In verse six, 17 and 18, he says, If Christ has not been raised and your faith is futile, that means in our life right now, it's, it's pointless, it's meaningless. And also, you're still in your sin. So the effect of your sin, there's no atonement for your sin. There's also no remedy for your sin. There's no course of action for your sin. There's no, there's no real way to navigate your sin in this life, period. Moreover, he says, then also, those who have fallen asleep, those who have perished, or those who have died, there's no hope for them either. And he says, in this life you have hope, you're to be pitied most. You're, we'll talk about that in a moment. But he's, he says there's implications on the resurrection of Jesus on both this life and in the life to come. So if Jesus did not raise from the dead, there's no hope in this life nor in the life to come. That's what he's saying. So this means that while you are alive now, if there's no resurrection of Jesus, there's no freedom from sin. You're still in bondage. Think about the sin you've been in, involved in in your past. Maybe what God has set you free from. Like addictions, shame, guilt that you have had. You've placed your hope in a false reality. You're just, it's mystical, mythical, false, and phony. You just believe lies if there's no resurrection of Jesus. Like your life right now is not better if there's no resurrection of Jesus. Because you actually have no spirit of God, no hope, no power over sin, no ability to uh, conquer uh, the, the, the sin that enslaves you. Some of you are like, why well, I have con what, what? Yeah, it's because we believe in the resurrection. Like, this is all like, what if it's not? And we all are living testimony that it, it, there is a resurrection because we have overcome sin, because we have the power of God, because we have the Holy Spirit. Like we know, like, no, Jesus is, that's validating the resurrection. But imagine with me if there was no resurrection. You would have no, it, you, you'd have no hope in this life. Moreover, you would not have hope in life to come. So, therefore, you couldn't say, when, you, when a loved one passes away, 
it's okay, they're in a better place. They're in a better place. No, they're not. If there's no resurrection, they're not. If you have non-Christian friends, this is, this is what I love to do. If you have non-Christian friends and they're like, hey, well, Susie's in a better place. You believe in the resurrection? Like, no. Well, then what are you talking about? What better place is there? Like, what better place is there? Well, I believe in, you know, an afterlife. Oh, interesting. Uh, tell me about this afterlife. Like, go ahead. Go through the, the, you know, you'll start to see them squirm a little bit in their, their, their philosophical, you know, uh, ways of thinking. They'll just they'll stumble through it. You've got to reckon with the reality. Is there a resurrection or is there not? There's no better place if there's no resurrection. No better place if there's no resurrection. It's implications for this life and the life to come. There's no solace, no comfort in this life nor in the life to come if there's no resurrection of Jesus. Everything hinges on the resurrection. It's what we teach our kids in, in, in the world kids. In the New City Catechism, the first question we teach them is, the, is, what is our only hope in life and death? The answer for the kids is, we're not our own but belong to God. That's the short answer. But the, but the longer answer is, uh, we're not our own, but belong both body and soul, both in life and death to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's uh, both body and soul, physical body and our immaterial body, the soul. They belong to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. The text that teaches this is Romans 14, 7 through 9, which we teach the kids as well. For none of us live to himself, none of us die to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, to this end, Christ died and lived again, that we might, that he might be Lord of both what? The living and the dead. There's no hope in this life, folks. You're like, well, I, I, I can not be a Christian and be moral. Why? What does your morality have? What's the point of your morality now if there's no resurrection? Like, why be moral? Well, it's just good for society. Why? Well, because then we want people to live in peace and harmony. Why? Well, because I think it's good for the betterment of people. Well, where does that come from? Why do you want the good of people? Why do you care about people? Well, like eventually you're going to get to the fact that God made you, you're made in his image, and that we all have equal value, and that, you know, uh, we've, we rebelled against God, and that's called sin, and it's affected one another, and we need to help fixing things, and we can't curb the problem of sin with just mere moralism or, or, or laws, but we need a God to come rescue and save us. Oh, wait, that's what the, the gospel is, that's what the news of Christianity is, that Jesus came to die in our place for our sins, to fix the problem, to heal our land, to heal the people, to restore us back to right relation with God, that affects everything thing we do. And he proved that through his person, his work, and validated that through what? His resurrection. If there's no resurrection, there's no hope in this life, nor is there hope in the life to come. Things cannot get better now in this life if there's no resurrection and giving of the Holy Spirit. There's no power. There's no hope. It's pointless. If you don't think about, if you think about this, it sounds miserable. Like it is. It's miserable for humanity if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. This is why God's people were waiting for the Messiah to come. We need help. We need hope. We're stuck in the same, you know, trap and cul-de-sac of sin. We can't get ourselves out. We need the Messiah. We need the Savior. We need, and he came to rescue us. Number seven. The, the, the number seven. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, the last thing he says is that Christianity is a miserable joke. It's a joke. We're clowns. This is dumb. It's a mockery. It's pitiful, it's pointless if Jesus isn't raised from the dead. 
And he says this way, that if, in Christ we have hope, in this life only, and, and, and meaning not the life to come because he's not, he's not raised, then this life right now, we are, all, we, are, we are most of all to be pitied. He's saying Buddhism, it's pitiful, but not near as bad as Christianity if there's no resurrection. Like moralism, it's pitiful, but nowhere near as pitiful Christianity if there's no resurrection. Meaning this, that Christians center everything on the person, work, and resurrection of Jesus. Our whole lives are centered around Jesus. If there's no resurrection, then everything crumbles. Everything falls apart. Our faith is not just futile, but our life is a miserable joke. If Christianity doesn't form your life that way, then you might not be a Christian. Just letting you know. Like, that's the thing. You may be a new Christian. If you're a new Christian, then, then that's great. Uh, but where you're headed, where Jesus is taking you to where he is the center of your life, your entire life revolves around him. If you're like, man, I, honestly, Jesus is just an add-on to my life. He's not really the center of my life. Then the call today for you, if you believe in the resurrection, is to center Jesus in the center of your life. All your life should revolve around the worship of him. Everything you say and do should point back to Jesus. And this is why he's saying, man, it's a miserable joke if he's not alive because I've wasted so much time. I've, I've, spent too, I've cried too many tears. I've, I've, I've sacrificed so much. I've, I've poured out my life for this church and I, the preaching ministry. Like everything I've done, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then this is a miserable joke of an existence. But good news, guys. He is alive. He is alive. None of that is true. All of He is alive. He's not dead. He is alive. So preaching has meaning. Your faith has meaning. We are representing God. There is forgiveness of sins. There is hope in this life and in the life to come. And our lives are not a joke, but they are the good life. That is the great news because of the resurrection of Jesus. And so he moves now to tell us of the, the implications of the resurrection. So he made this point of, of just thought exercise for us to think through, man, what if there was no resurrection? The reason why he's doing this is so that we're not just going through some intellectual exercise of we check, I believe in the resurrection. I can quote that, I can say that. No, but do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Do you believe it's real? It's tangible. He's really alive. The, the tomb is empty. We saw last week he said that he, he proved the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead because he, he talked about him historically, and it was validated both through the Romans, and like I said, into in the Jews, the non-Christian world, validated the, the coming of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. Furthermore, we see that when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared uh, to, to upwards of 500 people at a time. Like, people who were still living when this book uh, of 1 Corinthians was written, they could have said, hey, no, he's not alive. But he appeared to more than 500 people at a time for over 40 days. For 40 days he went, so he showed people with scars. He, he had meals with people. He, he, he cooked barbecue. He did all these things. The New Testament tells us of the great life that Jesus had with people upon his resurrection. The doubting disciples became believing disciples. The world was radically changed because of the resurrection of Jesus. It's real. It's a fact. And that's what he says. But in fact, he didn't say plausibly. He's not, he's not saying potentially. He's not saying consider with me. He's saying, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. It's a fact. He, it's, it's a complete fact. Every religious leader in the, in the, in the, in the course of hu humanity, every world religion leader has a tomb to commemorate, remember their life and their death, marked with a seal, a shrine, so their followers can come and pay homage to the, the dead man in the tomb. We don't got no dead man. He's alive. There's no tomb. The grave is empty. It's a fact. 
And the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, meaning those who, the Christians that have already passed away, he says, they don't die, they fall asleep. They take a nap. It's awesome. Christians don't die, they nap, is what he says. And they get to go be with Jesus. Verse 21, for as by a man came death. Who's that man? Adam. Through Adam came death. And by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. Who is the man? Jesus. Adam came death. Through, through the resurrection, there's life in Jesus. For as in Adam all died, so also Christ shall be, so all shall be made alive. So what he's saying is all those who know, love, trust, put their faith in Jesus, though they die, they will be made alive in Christ. In Adam you die, you go to dust, in Jesus you live. That's what he's saying. Christianity is about life, new life in Christ. He says, but each in his order. Christ, the first fruits, and then at, it, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then the end comes, or then comes the end. When he delivers his kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God to the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who uh, all things are in subjected under him. Jesus isn't over the God the Father. Uh, he, he, he's, he's subjected to God the Father, but he rules over the kingdom. He's going to deliver it to, him, to God the Father when all things are subjected to him. Then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, meaning God the Father, who put all things in subjected, un, subjection under him, that God may be all in all. I know there's like subjection like 18 times there. So let me explain what's going on here. Fact is, Jesus is alive. Verse 20, the, it's in fact that Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead. Now, what are the implications of the resurrection? We saw the implications of what if he wasn't resurrected. There's seven now implications of, of him being raised from the dead. What are the implications of the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead? Number one, the soul of the Christians who die immediately go to heaven. That's good news. This is, if you are a Christian and you die, you go to, to be with God. You go to heaven. He says it this way that they have fallen asleep. Just, isn't, like, just imagine, you think of death, you think of a grave, you think of rotting in a tomb. He says for Christians, it's not like that. It's like a nap. How many of you love naps? I love naps. I'm going to take a Sunday nap today, hopefully. A few, two hours, maybe, if I'm lucky. I got, I got love naps. You wake up from a good nap, you're like, man, that's refreshed. That's how it's going to be. Christians don't die, they nap. They fall asleep. If you don't like naps, then you should start preparing for heaven. Take one. Uh, and then how you feel when you wake up, it's pretty awesome. Like, Jesus took naps too. This is what I love. They've just fallen asleep. Just fallen asleep. And he says uh, in, in, in first, 2 Corinthians 5.8, uh, the same author to the same church, he says, to be absent from the body is to be home with the Lord. So when your body is, when, when you die, your soul is, is at home with the Lord immediately. You're present with the Lord. You, you, the soul of the Christian who dies immediately goes to heaven. And now, oftentimes when people think of soul, they think of some like light floating. That's not what it is. The soul, your soul is your uh, immaterial person. Like it has form. The soul has form in the spiritual realm. Like you can't see it because we're in the physical realm. But in the spiritual realm, souls have form. The, the angelic beings have form. Like uh, they, there, there's a form. It's not just a light floating around and we're going to go to heaven and just be lights and Jesus is present. We're going to light up the heavens. You know, no, you, you, you are actually your immaterial person, your spiritual person, your soul the essence of who you are is going to be at home with the Lord. 
You're going to be cognitive, you're going to be functional, you're going to be visible, you'll be experiential, you'll be able to enjoy in the spiritual realm uh, the, the, the full arrays of, of, of experience in the presence of God. So fullness of joy, pleasure forevermore, like in the presence of Jesus, immediately when you die, you're in his presence. This is good news. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, the soul of the Christians who die immediately go to heaven. So you can say of the loved ones you've lost that are Christians, they're in a better place. They're like not just in a better place, they're in the best place. But also, heaven is not the, 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 our, our, our end game. Heaven is, uh, hear me this, heaven is not the final resting place for the Christian. The new heaven and new earth are. When Jesus returns, heaven is a holding place. This is why we reject purgatory. Purgatory, eh, no. We are in heaven. Heaven is the true holding place. Heaven is. That's what the Bible teaches. That when Jesus returns, he's bringing with him a city. A whole new Jerusalem capital city of heaven at that time he'll wipe away every tear from our eye death will be no more there'll be, be no pain no more suffering no crying anymore the former things that will, will have passed away so this earth will have passed away the the current heaven will have passed away and he's behold he's making all things new there's a new heaven and new earth new jerusalem that's our true home that's where we're headed so heaven is this holding place where we're in the presence of God, fullness of joy, pleasure forevermore. Our souls are there, absent from the body. We're present with the Lord, but it's experiential. It's real. It's, it's tangible. It's, 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 you get to experience the full array of, of, uh, 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 of God's majesty and presence without sin or suffering or shame while you await your resurrected body. That's what he said next. He says there's going to be, the number two is that Christians will receive a resurrected body. We get a body, a restored body a better body. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. We get a, we get a resurrected body. He says, for, as, uh, for by one man came death, and by man also comes the resurrection of the dead. There's a, Jesus was not uh, uh, super, he, wasn't, he was supernatural. He wasn't just spiritually raised from the dead. He was physically raised from the dead. His body was raised from the dead. How did he eat food? Because he had a body, he had a stomach. His digestive system still worked. Just imagine, that blew my mind this week when I think about it. That's wild. Like he still had to, you know, live a life as the one who eats. Even upon the resurrection. The, the resurrection body. He has a body. He has a body. He has a body along with a soul. We will get a resurrected body. We will, a body that, that has no more ailments because of sin. Our, our bones won't hurt. Our back won't hurt. We won't have tears in our eyes. Death will be no more. It's going to be awesome. When Christ returns in his second coming, we will, in the, in the dead in Christ, the rise. I mean, those who have fallen asleep, they rise. They get a new glorified body. It's awesome. Awesome. Got a broken arm today, healed in, the, in eternity. New body. Number three, Jesus is reigning as king now. So these two, First two, the soul of the Christian immediately go to, go to heaven with the Lord. Uh, number two, implication of his resurrection is that Christians receive resurrected bodies. Those are to come, right? When you, pa when you pass on, you go to be with the Lord. Uh, and then when he returns, we get a resurrected body. Those are two implications of the resurrection. Now, number three is the implication of the resurrection that, that's important for us to understand now. Now. Jesus is reigning as king now. We're not waiting for the king to come back, meaning we're waiting for the king to come back, but we're not waiting for the king to come back to become king. We're told through the scriptures that he was born king. The resurrection validated that reality that he was born king. See, Herod wanted to kill him. We'll talk about that at the, around Christmas, about how Herod wanted to kill Jesus because he was born king, rightfully king. From the womb, he was king. 
God in the flesh coming to God putting on human flesh through Jesus Christ coming to earth to save us from our sins. The king was coming. Jesus often taught this way that he said throughout the scriptures that the kingdom of heaven is what? At hand. So when Jesus shows up in the flesh, he's telling the world the kingdom's here. See, the incarnation, the first coming of Jesus Christ, him exiting the womb of his mother was the breaking through of his kingdom here on earth. The kingdom of heaven had come to earth through the through the the, the, the baby Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus. Through his resurrection, it validates that he is the rightful king, the, is the heir of the throne, and he is the king who is ruling now and forevermore. He will reign. He is the Lord over our nation. He is the Lord over all nations. He is the Lord over your life. He is the Lord over everyone who breathes on planet earth and whoever will. The question is not, is Jesus reigning as king now? The question is, do you bow your knee to the king? Do you worship the king? Question is not who is the king. The question is who do you worship as king? Jesus is reigning as king now. And one day when he returns, everyone will bow their knee. If you don't bow your knee to Jesus by faith in this life, you will bow your knee to Jesus by force in the life to come. Not because he's mean or indignant. He'll show up and you will fall to your face and realize you were totally wrong. You're in the presence of a holy and righteous God and you'll fall down and worship him. You'll plead for your life, but you will have no hope because you rejected his person, his work on this life. And therefore, you have no hope in the life to come. Jesus is reigning king now. That's why we say we serve at the pleasure of King Jesus. These aren't just words that we like to throw around. Our aim is to serve at the pleasure of King Jesus. Number four, this means that Jesus is not only king now, but he has a kingdom. Imagine being a king without a kingdom. He's a king with the kingdom, and his kingdom has come to earth. This is what he teaches us in the, what we know as the Lord's Prayer. What? Hallowed be thy name, your what? Kingdom come, your will be done on where? Earth, as it is in where? Heaven. Are we just saying those words as if like they're just fancy words that tickle God's ears and say it right, like God blesses you as he's a genie? No. Pray to me, your Father in heaven. May your name be made holy. Hallowed be thy name. Where? In your kingdom, where is that kingdom? May it be on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of Christ has broken through with the, with the coming of Christ. His kingdom is at hand. We pray your kingdom done, your will be done on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So what we do is we take heaven's culture and we bring it down to earth and live in light of that. We don't take culture and bring it up to heaven. What forms culture here in this world should be the kingdom of heaven. If you're a Christian in this world, this, this matters. The resurrection of Jesus affects you not just in your glorified body to come, but in your mission now, the kingdom now. The kingdom of earth has come. Therefore, you should live differently. You work differently. You play differently. You enjoy food differently. You have relationships differently. You, you have sex differently. You do everything differently than the world. Why? Because you have a king. His name's Jesus. He's reigning now, and he's brought his kingdom to earth, and he's conquered your heart, converted your life. You are now a son or a daughter and a citizen of heaven. You think of everything differently, children differently, work differently, money differently, everything differently. You, you operate under the principles and kingdom of heaven, not of earth. And then you build culture on earth that reflects heaven. See, if you don't know Jesus, what you end up doing is, is building the culture of hell here on earth. And this is why you look around and you're like, man, it feels like hell out there. It is. It is. The culture makers tend to be, sadly so in our lifetime, sad, sadly so for, uh, in the past hundred years, uh, uh, 
far too often the culture leaders have not been the Christians. That we're waiting for the new home. We don't need to do anything here. Well, the king's coming back. And we're going to find out later, he's, he says it in verse, uh, the fifth point. I'll go ahead and move to it. Jesus will present this kingdom to the Father at the end. He's coming back for a kingdom. And what is he going to show the Father? The work of our hands, the fruit of our labor. So we should be building kingdom culture here on earth as it is in heaven because at, at the consummation of the kingdom when Jesus returns, he's going to present this kingdom, the kingdom that he established on earth as it is in heaven, to God the Father. We are Jesus' inheritance. We are his reward. We says, when he says, let the nations be glad and, and sing for joy, and that they would be asked of the Lord and he will give you the nations and they will be your reward. We are the reward. Christians are the reward. Jesus of his labor, his, his person, his work, his resurrection, his kingdom. And he's invited us to be a part of the family business, to build the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And this is what we're called to do, to live differently, to build kingdom culture, kingdom down, not culture up. And that should infect and affect everything that we do and permeate through every crevice in our city so that people would see that we are a city upon a hill that cannot be hidden as Jesus teaches. That's what the church is, is to be the, a city upon a hill. The kingdom is to be advancing through, this, through the city. And he's going to present that to God the Father. Number six, the kingdom is actively advancing. How does it, go, how does it advance? Through the gospel and ministry of the church. The proclaiming of the gospel good news of the kingdom, personal work of Jesus, and the ministry of the church. See, the church, our church, all churches, all those who believe in the resurrection of Jesus and don't edit the scriptures, are, uh, uh, and all churches are, should be, a mission outpost for the kingdom. Like we're an outpost, a mission hub to be training, sending, equipping the missionaries, the children, the citizens of the kingdom, the Christians, Go be the hands and feet of Jesus where they live, work, and play. That's the job. That's what we're, some of you didn't know that. You came to for training. I just came to sing some songs and, I don't know, see some friends. You're here to train. This is a training. If you're not a Christian, you're here to be converted. You know, that's not why I came. Well, that's why that person brought you. They want you to know Jesus. And see, the, the, the kingdom advances to the hearts of people. And, and social reform comes after hearts are changed. They do. When, when everyone starts, this is what we see in the book of Acts. When the, when the idol factory guy, the guy who's making, the silversmith making all the idols for, for everyone, when he got converted, what happened, what did he do? He shut down his idol factory. I just can't wait for the day that all the strip clubs close down. It's like the guy who owns it gets saved. They become churches. Like, why can't we do this? We're all, all these, you know, like perverted men are running around trying to figure out where to go. You know, they don't know what to do. They're all outside. Why, why, why is the business shutting? The porn industry is over? How, this is a billion-dollar industry. How did it stop? Jesus rose from the dead, saved sinners. They gave them a new life. The culture changes rapidly and radically. Or the customer demand goes down. That's actually, I mean, you know, that's another sermon in and of itself. The enemy doesn't like that. He's going he's gonna to try to disturb us. The kingdom has come, and his will is to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So what he has commissioned us to do is to be about advancing his kingdom through the heralding of the gospel and the ministry of the local church. We push back the kingdom of darkness, the counterfeit kingdom, 
Satan and his minions are being pushed back. They have, they have seized the mind of people. Our war is not against flesh and blood. It's not against other humans. It's against the principalities of this dark world. We push back. We herald light through the preaching and pro, uh, for the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and through the ministry, a benevolent ministry of his people, his church, where we live, work, and play. And so our, this is why when we, when we talk about this over and over and over, that our, our desire here is to follow Jesus. Fight sin and fulfill the mission. What we mean by follow Jesus is mean that our aim is to follow Jesus, love him with all, our, all of our heart, our mind, and all of our strength. And may that overflow in how we love our neighbor and everyone in the city. But what interrupts that? Sin. Sin keeps us from doing a good job of that. Sin keeps us from loving God with our whole heart. Sin keeps us from loving our neighbor. So what do we do? We fight and we war against sin. We fight our sin. And then ultimately, that leads us to fulfilling the mission. What is the mission? The mission is to push the kingdom of God forward in this city so that people could see the light, the gospel of glory of Jesus Christ and, and experience the freedom of, 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 the, of the kingdom, salvation. To, to see what, taste and see what heaven it could be like. Have a little taste of that on earth as it is in heaven so that it would, it, would, it would enlighten their hearts and draw them in to want to know the person who offers that type of life, that joy, that happiness that they see in the life of Christians. And therefore the kingdom of darkness is pushed back. The light of Christ is shown. The mission moves forward into every nook and cranny of the city. Number seven, Jesus will return. Jesus will return. He will do so as a warrior king to lay waste to all his enemies, including death. He says he will destroy the last enemy, death, and he must reign until all of his enemies have been subjected to him. He's put them all under his feet. The kingdom of heaven is moving forward. It is conquering, it is conquering darkness. It is conquering the enemies of God the principalities and rulers. But there's one enemy that can only be conquered by Jesus. It's death. He'll come to deal with it personally when he returns. But he will return. And I want us to see a picture of what it will look like, what Jesus is like right now as king and what he's going to be like as he returns. Revelation 19, 11 through 16 says this. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it was called Faithful and True. Who is that? Jesus. And in righteousness, and judge, in righteousness, he judges and makes war. This is conquering King Jesus returning. And he returns. We get the image of 1 Corinthians that he's coming and he's going to make war against his enemies. And he says he, he judges and makes war here in Revelation. He says his eyes are like the flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. His eyes are burning red with fire and his head is the crown because he is a king. And he has a name that is written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dripped in blood. He's dripped in the blood of his foes, his enemies. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen. This is, this is angels with him. Armies of heaven. These, think about these are military warrior angels. Think about Navy SEALs, Green Berets, all of them, the best warriors and even better because they're angelic and they're with Jesus. They're, they're riding with him. This army of heaven. They're arrayed in fine linen, linen, pure white, and they're following him on white horses too. It's just this army, this picture we see. From his mouth comes a sharp sword to with which he, to, to strike the nations, strike down the nations. I want you to see this. He's coming to, to, he says, he will rule, with them, rule the nations with an iron rod. Jesus is the king of the nations now. 
He's not going to be the king of the nations when he returns. He's the king of the nations now. The call is to make disciples of who? All nations. Tell every nation, tribe, and tongue that Jesus is king. He's died in your place for your sins. He's risen from the dead victorious. He's coming. He wants you to be in his family. He wants to adopt you as a son, as a daughter. He's made way for you to be in the family with his life. Receive him. Receive him. For if you don't, the, what is coming next will be your reality. The red-eyed Jesus, flaming hot king, coming back. And he says, he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. See, Jesus on the cross suffered in your place for your sins. He experienced the fullness of the wrath of God. If you don't know how wine is made, it's grapes being smushed and crushed. Jesus was crushed in your place for your sins. The punishment upon him brought you peace through faith in him. And when he returns, all of those who have looked upon the cross of Christ and said, not my God, not my Savior, mocked him, denied him, rebelled against him, spit on him, cursed him, rebelled, said there is no God, I am my own God, I can figure this out on my own, I can live a life on my own, I can, I can atone for my own sins, will be met with the fury of the winepress of the Lord God Almighty. That's the reality. He's coming back to judge the living and the dead. Some of you are like, are you trying to scare me? Yes! I'm trying to see, you to see that this is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Literally scare the hell out of you. I, I want you to be so afraid in some sense of the holiness and righteousness of God that you don't look upon the cross of Christ and just think it's something we intellectually ascend to. The resurrection is just something that Christians believe. It matters because if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins, and you will experience the wrath of the Lord God Almighty when Jesus returns. But the good news is, for the Christian, we don't. We don't. For it's appointed that all die and then face judgment. For the Christian, if you know, love, and trust Jesus when you face judgment, it is a judgment. You will be judged. But not on your merits, not on your works, but on the saving work of Jesus. So the judgment for the Christian is a judgment of not condemnation, but commendation. You get reward. Well done, good and faithful servant, child of God, friend of the King. Come on in. Let's feast. Let's dine. Let's enjoy presence of God. No pain, no suffering, pleasure forevermore. Enjoy the fruits of the kingdom. Enjoy it in its entirety. Feast and fellowship with your good God and King Jesus. The reward, its commendation, is the judge, judgment we get as Christians. For those who are not Christians, the King has to. Lay his judgment on you for rejecting his sin atoning sacrifice. If you're here today and you reject Jesus, then you that you you are hearing the news. It's up to you to respond. I plead with you to believe in Jesus. Have faith in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. All those things we've said about the resurrection are yours. All those things on the screen are yours if you trust in Jesus. You put your faith in Jesus. You look upon the cross of Jesus and say, my sin, my Savior, I give you my life. I surrender. I bow my knee to you now by faith. But the day is coming when Jesus will return. 
And there will be no more hope for the life to come. Verse 29. The resurrection changes everything. I want us to see this. There's some confusing things here in this passage. I'm going to be brief, hopefully clear. But I want you to see that the big point in the last few verses are that the resurrection should change everything. The fact that Jesus is alive should change everything. The fact that your sins are forgiven should change everything for you. And it did for them. He says this, Otherwise, uh, if, the res- if there wasn't a resurrection, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? So let me, let me pause there and just explain what he's saying in verse 29. And so the big idea here, I want you to see that everything hinges on the historical, factual, actual resurrection of Jesus. Jesus being alive, everything hinges on that. Verse 29, he's saying they're doing some weird stuff, baptizing them to have the dead. I'm going to explain it. The point is, why are they doing that? It's because they believe in the resurrection. I'm going to explain what they're doing, but I need you to see the overarching point is that they, they started doing things differently because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection. So what were they doing? This, this, this is wildly debated. And it's the same. It's actually the scriptures the, the Mormons use to, to, to talk about baptism by proxy, which we reject and which this is not teaching. And I'll explain. But, but for, for a moment, the, this idea of baptism by proxy is that when someone dies, uh, if, 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 for example, in, in the Mormonism, if a male dies and his name's Joe and he's dead, someone else who's a male needs to be baptized in the name of Joe so that Joe can get into heaven. And so that's not what's going on here. But, but he, is ta- he is talking about some situation that uh, seems a little bit confusing. And I say this because uh, here's a, a tip for us. When, we're, when we see confusing scriptures, one of the biblical principles we need to operate on is if you see an unclear scripture, you need to interpret it with the, with the, with the clear scripture. That's biblical, you know, exegesis 101, is that we need to take the unclear scripture and, and pair it with the clear scripture. What is clear in the scriptures is that there is no salvation by proxy. That salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. You must personally believe in Jesus. That's how faith works. That's how salvation works. We can only be saved through faith alone in Christ Jesus. The scriptures are clear about that. And so what it, this, this text cannot be talking about baptism by proxy or salvation by proxy. Um, so what is going on here? Uh, why are they doing this, this practice? And I'll say this, uh, I just, I really don't know, and many scholars don't know, and I want you to know it's okay to not know. It's okay to not know exactly what's going on here, while yet believing it's true. It is true that Paul is uh, addressing an issue of the original audience in Corinth. He's addressing a real issue in Corinth. We don't really know how this was working. We don't have any details about what they were exactly doing. We just know that it was an issue, and he is addressing it. And he's pointing to the reality of, I don't know why y'all are doing this if there's no resurrection, because the resurrection changes everything, which is my point. But with that being said, there are things that you and I, especially me, don't know, but we agree in and we believe in. I believe in the internet. I don't know how it works. Ask someone this way. He works for a cable company. I was like, tell me how it works. He's like, fiber wire goes here, and it's like, there's this wire, and there's the coax, and there's the, I don't know, anthrax. I don't know what, uh, I don't think that was it, but uh, I, that's, that's, you know, it somehow gets to you the information in the video, and he's like, you can put a bunch of information on this, and all this, that means, like, if they cut the wire, you lose, I'm like, What? So there's real wires? Like, yeah, there's some at the bottom of the scene. I was like, no way. I don't understand it, but I, I experienced the internet. I believe it. So I don't know exactly what's going on here, but we do know it's a real issue that Paul is addressing. And so uh, there's two ways that this could have gone. And, and so one of them is that uh, perhaps uh, a family member 
when they say being baptized on behalf of, of the dead, it, uh, someone in Corinth saw their, their, their family member confa- confess faith in Jesus, profess faith in Jesus, then die. And at their funeral, the guy stands up and says, hey, let me tell you about Bob and his faith. And, and one of the, 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 the family members in the audience or friends in the audience goes, man, I, I hear about Bob's faith. I want Bob's faith. I want to be a Christian. And then he, he became a Christian and got baptized. What he's saying is, what was the point of you being baptized after Uncle Bob's funeral if you don't believe in the resurrection? Like, what's the point of this? What's the point? Because everything hinges on the resurrection. The, the resurrection changes everything. The, the, the other idea could be that they were, beha- they were baptizing people on behalf of deceased people who were Christians. So like Bob got saved but didn't get to be baptized yet. And they're like, oh no, what do we do with that? Someone's got to get baptized for Bob. He's not, con- he's not condoning this. He's just, he's just speaking to the questions they have. And, and, it, and it's, it's unclear. So whatever practice it is, Paul is simply reporting it without necessarily approving it. It's not clear what, what's going on, and it, but, but, it, but he's clearly not commanding this sort of tradition. It's the only place that we see it. So the Bible gives no support for any idea other than, or any salvation apart from personal faith in Jesus. And so the point here is with this, they're doing some stuff that, that if the resurrection wasn't real, then why would they even play a part of it? Meaning this, the resurrection changes things. Furthermore, in verse 30 and 32, he says that, why are we in danger every hour? I, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you that I have in Christ Jesus. I die every day. What he's saying is that uh, he, life, being a Christian, it, it, it takes risk. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous thing for him to risk his life for the cause of Christ. He's, he's, he says he's, he's, he's risking his life every hour. He, he's a threat of being killed. It, the resurrection changed everything. He's like, it, it, Jesus is worthy, and he's worth it. The news is worth it. If they kill me, I don't care because i got to get the news to people. i got to tell people about the person and work of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the sin atoning sacrifice of Jesus, the salvation of Jesus. If they kill me, they cancel me, I don't care. The risk is worth it. Jesus is worthy, and the news is worth telling. And then, furthermore, we're called to, as Christians to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow Jesus, to crucify our flesh. And this is what he says next, is that I die every day. I die every day, not physically die. But uh, being, believing in the resurrection means that we, we put to death sin, we fight our sin. We actually live in obedience to him. We, we self-denial, self-denial is a thing. We choose not the path of least resistance, easy Easy going, but the path that brings God the most glory. So sometimes it's hard. It takes sacrifice, it takes effort, it takes energy. He's like, I, I, it's hard. I have to crucify myself daily. They're trying to kill me. If the resurrection isn't real, then, then why am I doing all of these things? Furthermore, he said he had to fight the beast at Ephesus, which means that he was dealing with heretics. He was dealing with critics. He was dealing with wolves. He was engaged in spiritual warfare. And if, if the resurrection of Jesus is what propelled him to continue in light of that difficulty and he says that if the resurrection isn't real if the dead are not raised he says in verse 32 let us eat drink for tomorrow we die so why am i sacrificing so much and he quotes an epicurean philosophy of if you eat sleep tomorrow we die like let's just eat drink have fun be merry and die it's the modern day yolo if y'all remember that one i know that was a little, a little back but like that, that, that that's that's what they were doing like you only live once like so live your life to the fullest and and he's saying if 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 Jesus isn't alive. Morals don't matter. Truth doesn't matter. Nothing matters. But he is alive. He is alive. And so he says, verse 33, do not be deceived. Bad company 
corrupts good morals. Meaning this, that because of the resurrection of Jesus, our lives should be lived differently. He says, who's forming you? Who are you around? Who are you hanging around? What, 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 how are you being formed? He says, wake up from your drunken stupor as it is right. Do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. Meaning they need God, they need Jesus. Get your head out of the, the, the toilet from vomiting and get out there on the mission field because some people don't know Jesus and you need to go tell them. He says, I'm saying this to your shame because you know about the resurrection. You've intellectualized yourself out, out of the resurrection. Like, he, I believe in Jesus, but, you know, it really has no bearing on my life. And so I can just YOLO, do whatever I want, hang out with whoever I want, do whatever matters, what, what I think matters. There's no point in this life. He's like, you're, you're acting foolish. You're, you're acting like a drunk, a drunk. So wake up. Get to work. The resurrection matters. It should change everything. And he says, don't be deceived. See, we live in a day where, where many people are deceived. Many Christians become deceived. And his point here is if there's no resurrection, then you can just do whatever you want. Get drunk. Have, have fun. There's, there's, no, there's no point in this life other than just enjoy what you can because you're going to die tomorrow. It doesn't matter. And so he, he's saying to the, I want to speak to the heart of the Americans in us. Why protest? Why vote? Why push for change? Why do anything social in this life if there's no resurrection? Why do any of that? Why? If there's no afterlife, if there's no afterlife, why do any of it? He's saying there is an afterlife, there is a resurrection, that Jesus is alive, and therefore you need to live like it. The resurrection should change everything. And when he says the people you're around, are they fueling the mission or are they hindering the mission? Are they corrupting you or are they, are they complimenting you? He's not saying don't have friends with non-Christians. He's saying in the church, are we, are we working together for Jesus and his mission? Or are you being corrupted by, by, by those around you? He says don't be deceived. We live in a world where there are many Christians, and I've seen it over and over and over again. What they start doing is they start questioning the authority of Scripture. Then they what? Start denying the resurrection. Then they start denying the atonement. They, 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 they start adopting the world, the world we live in, our culture's view of justice, not the Bible. They start deconstructing to a point in which they're no longer Christians anymore. They've edited God's word, the gospel, out of it, and they call themselves Christians, but they're deceived, Paul says. They, and, and some of you, maybe you're friends with them, and they're corrupting you. You call them to repentance, gently, kindly, continually. But repent, they must, if they want to still be Christians. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. I've seen so many of my friends leave the faith because they, they, they've, they've opted out of God's definition of love. They've opted out of God's definition of truth, God's definition of, of justice, and they've, they've, they've placated to the culture and, and, and accepted the, the, the drunken stupor of the world we live in, and they're no longer walking with Jesus. And when he returns, let's remember what he's returning as. This is important. So he says, wake up. Stop it. There's some that have no knowledge of God. They need Jesus. They need you to go tell them, go. I say this to your shame. And he says this because I love you. I want, you to, I want people to know Jesus. I want you to act like the resurrection is real and live in light of the fact that Jesus is alive. He is ruling and reigning. Don't be deceived. You're prone to be deceived. Don't intellectualize yourself out of obedience to Jesus. That's where we're going to end, church. 
Don't intellectualize yourself out of obedience to Jesus. Let's keep following Jesus with our whole heart. Let's keep fighting our sin with with the power of the Holy Spirit in the context of community. And let's, by the grace of God, fulfill the mission Jesus called us in this city so that more people know Jesus. The the light of Christ shines forth in our city and our culture is transformed by the gospel, not because of anything we've done, but what the Holy Spirit does in us so that when God the Father returns, when Jesus returns, he has the kingdom and we're involved, that he presents to God the Father in, in all of his glory, and we get to be in his presence, fullness of joy, pleasure forevermore, feasting in the kingdom. There are some who do not know God. It's our job to go get them. Let's do it. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this church. Thank you for calling us to this mission. I thank you for adopting us into your kingdom. Now, as we respond, Lord Jesus, may we focus our heart's attention and our, and our affection on, on, on the resurrected Jesus. Give us a spirit of worship. Give us a spirit of, of grace. Give us a spirit of power. Give, give us the spirit of joy to, to herald your praises with our lips, to our hearts to, be, to well up with great joy and, gl- and gladness that we are the, the sons and daughters of the king, the king's kids. And if there's anyone in here who does not, has not put their faith or trust in you, I ask that right now that they would put their faith and trust in you, Jesus. Their hope would be in you. You will return. And may that be a joyful day for everyone in this room. In Christ's name, amen.